We're going to hit a couple scriptures today. Most of our text that we're going to be reading from is Jonah 3. But I wanted to open up with Matthew eleven twenty eight this morning. And so let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for everything that you've been doing this morning and the spirit of worship that was coming out of our hearts was a reflection of the goodness that we were experiencing from you, God. Lord, and I thank you for people who return praise and worship to you. I thank you for people that are living to be in tune with your goodness and your presence, Lord. And I just ask for continued blessing on families. Yeah, I feel like we're supposed to pray for blessings on on moms as we get close to Mother's Day. We just kind of hit that once. But Lord, thank you for all the moms. Thank you for all the households that are having to work two jobs and work double duty and triple duty. And I just ask for grace and rest to come to them. And in Jesus' name, amen. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. And I know that's just a snippet of Scripture. And I see it as one of the many benefits that we get of coming to Jesus. But what I see in that a little bit more is that When we come to Jesus, he is offering us rest. See, to be where Jesus is at gives opportunity to find rest. And in that sentence, come to me, come indicates that Jesus isn't inviting himself into your unrest, but he's inviting you out of it. He's inviting you into his rest. And he says that if you come to him and you and you take his yoke, this is if you join up with him, he will show you how to work from a place of rest that doesn't cause weariness or doesn't cause a burdensome feeling. Burdens and tiredness lead to unrest. The good thing about this is, if there's any silver lining, is that unrest is a sign that there's an opportunity for real rest to take place. I'm sure you've noticed that there's an abundance of unrest out there. I'm sure you've noticed there's abundance of unrest. And this thought came to my mind the other day as I was thinking about what to say this week, is that the landscape has changed. When something immediate or catastrophic takes place, it causes you to take notice, and the change is obvious, that something looks different. So when we look at this picture, we see a picture, and then when we see the next picture, it's quite obvious that something is missing. It, it, it's like, you can go back to that picture for just a second, and then go back. In this picture, there's two towers. In the next picture, there's not. It's obvious. Something looks different. Our landscape has changed drastically in one year. What we see and how we see things and the impacts of catastrophic events has changed our landscape. You see, the landscape there has changed the way we see things. Our landscape here has changed in the last year geographically, socially, politically. See, we had wildfires last year, wildfires come through, and they changed the landscape of how it was into something catastrophic, something that didn't look like it did before. The ice storm, it happened a few months ago, and though not quite as 
catastrophic as the wildfires and quite as out of control, the ice storm still came in and changed the landscape a little bit. There's, there's political unrest. There's racial unrest. There's a worldwide virus call, ca- causing unrest. And all of these things have happened quite rapidly and it changes the landscape of life. It's how we say things. It's how our outlook is on what the future looks like. They happen quickly and you see the results. And where there is devastation, restoration is desired. And this is a cause of unrest, that seeing of a devastation, seeing the devastating things that have happened, and that desire in each one of us to see things restored can cause an unrest inside of us. And this restoration sometimes is a desire for things to change overnight that can't. And unrest comes out of that. See, things may have seemed to kind of have fallen apart overnight, but I'm, I'm guessing that and in my mind, most catastrophic, catastrophic events that we see the instantaneous results from, they, the, 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 the results may have happened overnight, but the problem actually started a long time ago. Right? See, the, the wildfires, when the wildfires came through, that there was a perfect wind condition, uh, humidity, temperature, the weather was just right, but the fuel had been gathering for years and years and years, and there was an underbrush that was just ripe for the right conditions. And so what seemed to happen in an instant had actually been building up for years. When you plant trees and power lines next to each other, and the ice comes and weighs them down, and they give way, we have a catastrophic event, but that tree's actually been in the wrong place for a long time. Listen, when you bury something and you don't completely deal with it or allow it to exist in some areas, like in our, in our race or political issues, sooner or later the problem will show up and we can point fingers at, at who we think is to blame, but in our world today, some things seem to have been buried and need to come out. It's like the story of, gla- of, of a piece of glass in my dad's arm. So over, over 40 years ago, my dad's in this horrific car accident. I'm trying to do the math, probably over 50 years ago, sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm old, I forgot that. <laughs> I had a patient the other last week at work. It was the patient was exactly fifty years younger than me, and I was like, "Okay, it's time to quit." I think fifty exactly to the day. But my dad was in this car accident in the '60s, and he was he should have died. That the doctor said he should have died. They kept saying, "You know, you shouldn't have lived." And then when he made it to the hospital, finally, he was out in the middle of nowhere in Wyoming, and so I finally made it to a hospital. And I think it was in Salt Lake City. And they said, "Well, you're going to be in the hospital for three months." That's what they said. You are going to be in recovery for three months. And he walked out of the hospital a week later with a cast. So it looked like everything had healed, but forty. Plus, years later, he got a bump in his arm. You know, I don't know about you, but I've gotten a few bumps one time, and I'm like, oh, 
what is that? You know, what's the first thing you think of when you have a bump on your arm? You're thinking cancer, right? That's, I'm like, oh my gosh, something really bad. But he had this bump on his arm and it kept getting closer and closer and closer, closer to the surface till where actually it kind of broke through a little bit and he grabbed it and squeezed it and out came a piece of glass that had been embedded in his arm since the car wreck in the 60s. Sometimes when you bury things, they just need to come out. They got to get out sometimes, right? That problem had been there a long time. Changes that happen over a long time don't always get noticed until the problem they create is overbearing. It causes unrest. And, and a few weeks ago I said I felt like the Lord was speaking something like this to me, that God wants to be where people are until they want to be where He is at. People will come to Jesus because of His choice to go to people. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. But I, but I see Him going to people first and then coming to Him to get that rest. It's like he goes out and he gives them rest and now they've come to him completely. Jesus was constantly going. He was constantly sending. He went to this town. He went to that town. He sent the 12 out. He sent the 70 out. And he commissions us to go and so we go. One of the questions I wrote is, where does he want to be? See, Geographically, God has placed us in a continent, in a country, in a state, in a county, in a city or near a city. And in these cities, in near these cities, we have neighbors, we have friends. And that's kind of the point of the map to begin with. The point of the map is to say, look at how, I mean, I don't even know if there's half of us on here yet, but, but look at how even just in, in this region, look at all the color. Look at how God has placed us in places in this city already. Well, you might say, well, I, I picked my spot. I picked my house. Well, if you're created in the image of God, then he might have put the desire in you as part of his image to be there. I want to be in that place. Some of you want to live out in the country. Some of you want to live out of the country and you haven't quite made it yet. <laughs> but God has placed us in places in this city and I have a feeling that if if we took pins from all the churches in town and all the believers of what would this map look like? Look at the God who lives inside of us. Where would he be? And I think he'd be just about everywhere. So geographically, I think we are set up well for God's word and God's goodness and for people to have an experience with God. I want to be part of something that has opportunity or potential to affect our whole community. Some call it revival. But revival starts with us. We need to be where he wants us to be in our attitude before we can ever expect our communities to respond. Attitude has many definitions, but here's one that helps this morning. Attitude is a position assumed for a specific purpose. A position assumed for a specific purpose. So the key to seeing revival is to assume the position for the purpose. If revival is the purpose, then 
Humility is the position. That's where God is. That's where he wants to be, us to be, to begin with. Is it a place in humility? God speaks to Solomon in 2 Chronicles 7, 13 and 14, and he says, If I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send a plague among my people, and my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Isn't that what we want? A healing of the landscape? A healing of the outlook, a healing of the tension, a healing of the unrest. Revival starts with us. And it's laid out step by step right there in front of us. It's, it's humbling ourselves in prayer and seeking. It's turning. It's repentance. It's forgiveness by the Lord. And then the land gets healed. And that's just us. What would happen if we got healed? What would happen if a, if a town got healed? It's, it's the Jonah story. You know the Jonah story, Jonah and the whale? Jonah gets a word to go to Nineveh. He gets a word to go and prophesy that Nineveh is to be destroyed by God because of their wickedness. Do you remember that? So what does Jonah do? He hops on his horse and runs to Nineveh, right? Nope. He says, I don't like those guys. Those, those guys are my enemy. I don't like their gods. I don't like their food. What else didn't he like? Didn't like their cars either. <laughs> Jonah, Jonah didn't like Ninevites. So he went the other direction. He unrepented. <laughs> he went in the wrong direction. And he ran away. And he gets on a ship. And a storm comes. And it's because of him. And they decide finally to throw Jonah overboard into the ocean. He gets swallowed by a great fish. And then, in the belly of his fish, sees the error of his ways. He humbles himself. He prays. And he goes to Nineveh. And here's what happened in Nineveh. In Jonah 3, it says, So Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk. Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk. And he cried out and said, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. I think it's it's important that we remember that this prophecy, this word of the Lord to the Ninevites was not a conditional prophecy. It wasn't Jonah saying, if you don't change your ways, you're going to be destroyed. Jonah, the word was, you will be destroyed in 40 days. You're going to be destroyed in 40 days. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God. And they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, He got up from his throne, removed his robe from himself, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on the dust. 
And he issued a proclamation, and it said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, no person, animal, herd, or flock is to taste anything. They are not to eat or drink water. But every person and animal must be covered with sackcloth, and people are to call on God vehemently, and they are to turn each one from his evil way and from the violence which is in their hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. When God saw their deeds that they had turned from their evil way, then God relented of the disaster which he had declared he would bring on them. So he did not do it. Now, I don't know about you, but if a guy came to town and told me I needed to change or else I was going to die, and I did it, I changed, and it didn't happen, and there wasn't a condition in there for that, I might have a tendency to think that he was wrong. But somehow, that's not what happened. Nineveh was saved. Nineveh was revived. They experienced revival. And sometimes it seems that in this country that we are expecting our governmental leaders to get revival and then bring it to us. But that's, like, when we do that, I think we lose our humility. We move into a place of looking what the government isn't doing or governors and and doing, and we sit in judgment. That's not what we're called to do. Maybe, maybe some of you are called to bring revival to political leaders. I don't know. But I haven't. I've been placed. I know where I've been placed. I know where I'm supposed to function. I know what, that's my responsibility. That's my, that's my shift. That's my job. That's my watch, right? And that's what Jonah did. It said, if we read through that again, Jonah went to the people first. Jonah went to the people first. The people repented. One day into a three days walk, the people changed their ways from one man's word. That's power. That's the power of God. And, and then, then it says the king heard about it. And then the king declared that everyone was to do this. You see, the, the people first and then the leader. Could you imagine in this country if the people changed and repented, the leaders would not have a choice because we're the ones who vote them into place. I mean, I just see this working. I don't know about you. This isn't heavy and harsh. This is possibilities. This is a different way of thinking than expecting our leaders to change. Yes, I wish that they would do things the way I think they should do it because that would be the right way. (laughs) Right? Nineveh gave a word, and the people went into prayer and fasting. They put on sackcloth. The king decreed it for the whole city. He decreed it for the people and the animals. And you know things are really bad in town when the animals have to repent too. (laughs) Okay? I never really thought about needing my dog. Actually, I have wondered why he doesn't change some of his ways before. Yeah, he's a beggar. He's just... He's a little food stealer. 
So he does need some repentance. Let's pray for him. Just joking. (laughs) But think about the wisdom of the king in this. Think about the wise king. When When he was made aware of the situation, the king wanted the whole land healed. He said, not just us, but whatever it takes for this God who's decreed that we could be destroyed as a people group, um, we're going to do people, the kids, even the animals. Whatever it takes to get the land healed. It takes a sincere humility of heart to want this. And the, the sad part about Nineveh is that it was saved for a moment. But not many years later, Nineveh became a wicked place. And uh, it was destroyed. It went back to its ways It was and it was destroyed. And I've, I've often thought about that. When I looked up the... It's, I don't believe it's in the book of, of Jonah where I found that before, but... Nineveh eventually gets destroyed because of wickedness. And I thought, why? Why? You see, the the story of Jonah ends with Jonah still angry at God for not doing what Jonah went through the city and said he was going to do. And because Jonah didn't love the Ninevites. And the reason I think, and this this is my own opinion, so I'm not quoting the Bible, I'm quoting Dean. The reason I believe that Nineveh fell back into that is Jonah delivered a message, but he didn't go back and disciple the people in the message. He he had a revival meeting. People came to Jesus, which it wasn't Jesus, but people repented. They came to the Lord. And then he went up on a hill to watch. He didn't go down into town and say, hey, I just told you about the possibilities and the power of God that could destroy you for your wickedness, but let me show you his good ways now. Let me show you his good ways. He didn't disciple him. He didn't start a discipleship program. He didn't find one. He didn't find 12. He didn't find 70. The whole town had repented, and he didn't find them. He watched to see what would happen. I get it. <laughs> like sometimes I'm just looking for the belly of the well. <laughs> okay, like God, just I'm just some of this stuff I'm just done with, right? Just show me where the belly of the well is. I'm gonna go hang out. That's how I feel sometimes. Like you can get fed up with things. But our landscape needs some healing. There's unrest. And man, I want some rest. Man, I want some rest in this place. Our humility will bring the peace of the Lord into a situation. I know that I am amongst humble people. I've seen you pray. I've heard you pray. I've seen you serve. I've heard you serve. I hear your testimonies. 
we have something really good to offer our community. And God has placed you in places. If you wanted to, you can put where you work on there. I don't care. Because that's another place you can be of influence at. You know, last week I said you're in the game. You're in the game. You've been placed. You've been called by His name. What if we were kings that loved the people so much that we knew the next step to take to heal the land? I mean, that's what, ha- that's what happened in Nineveh. We now don't just have the word of the Lord. We have the word of the Lord living in us. We have a power that just bleeds from us, that emanates from us. And all it takes is a little bit of a turning to humble ourselves and pray. Like I said, I've seen you do it. I've heard you do it. And I just want to encourage you about the possibilities for impacting our community. God wants to be where people are until they want to be where he's at. We're his church. We're his bride. He's put it all in our hands. He really has. I, I know it's him. I know everything that happens, it's him. It's by him. It's, but he is putting this, this, these people around us in our hands. And we will take them one by one, and we will learn to disciple and to walk with people. You know, discipleship can be complicated depending on how complicated you want to get. Not, not trying to make it complicated. I'm talking about walking through things with people can get complicated. But what if simple discipleship is just walking with someone till they can walk on their own? What if you just decided that today? I'm going to walk with somebody until they can walk on their own. Isn't that what we do with our kids? That's what I do with my kids. Except for one time I let him go by himself and he smashed his teeth. But, <laughs> but he was learning. He forgave me. When he fell, I, I picked him back up. What if you just walked with one person until they can, if, if you find something that you don't know what to handle in their life, call Bruce. He knows how to handle it. <laughs> That's what the body's for. But the most important thing you could do is just to walk with somebody until they can walk on their own. It's, it's just, we have to make things simple because there's plenty of, of people who can step into those hard places. Because that's their gift, their ability, and they'll go a little bit farther. But if you just think, oh, I can't disciple anybody, you're right. You'll be correct. Just walking with somebody till they can walk on their own. You're in the game. You've been placed. You've been called by his name. What if we just said, Lord, I want to, I want to put my hand to the plow today. I want to see the landscape change. You got to start out by plowing that ground. Let's just start working. Let's just start moving forward. Father, I just pray for that spirit of humility to come into this place, God. Lord, that I would realize daily that it starts with me. Lord, help me to walk with people till they can walk on their own. God, help people to walk with me till I can walk on their own in other areas, Lord. Jesus, I see potential in the way that you worked in Nineveh. I, I see if one man can, can make a difference to a whole city, then I, then I think uh, 
150 people can make a difference in a county. Easy. Lord, I just ask that we would walk hand in hand and arm in arm and we would unite around your purposes, around your love for people that we don't even love and help us to to walk with them, to talk with them, and to love them well. In Jesus' name, amen.